turn together once again to the book of Genesis. This morning we will be looking at Genesis chapter 21, the first 21 verses. And we'll be seeing this morning the culmination of the promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Once again, our text this morning is Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's Word. The Word of the Lord is completely without error. The Word of the Lord is powerful and alive. The Word of the Lord is completely sufficient for our lives. And the Word of the Lord is completely authoritative over us. Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. 
And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray that the Lord would add his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would use your word with us even as you have used it with Abraham and with Sarah. That it would be a guide and a comfort to us that it would be an encouragement to love and good deeds. And that, O Lord, your word would equip us to do your will. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever waited a long time for something? When I was younger, my parents decided that we needed to take a vacation trip to Disney World. And I became very excited about it. We planned it out. We were ready to go. And a month before we were ready to leave, my sister broke her leg. So we put it off till the next year and the anticipation was there and it was perhaps doubled because now we were finally going to get to go to Disney World. And about two weeks before we were ready to go, my father broke his foot. And so we waited, and we waited, and we thought, now, third time is the charm. The promise was just about there to be grabbed. And about a week before we left, I fell and broke my hand. And my mother looked at me with all the motherly compassion that she could, And she said, son, you can walk. We're going. (laughs) You see, they had waited on the promise. We wanted to be there. It's hard waiting, isn't it? Waiting for your birthday. Waiting for Christmas. Waiting for graduation. Waiting for a wedding day. Isn't it hard to wait? You see, that's what Abraham and Sarah had to do. They had the promise of God and they waited and they waited and they waited. Our story opens up this morning 25 years after Abraham is called out of Ur. For longer than many of you have been alive, Abraham and Sarah waited for the promise. But you see, the wait is not what's important. The promise of God is always true and sure, whether it comes quickly or whether it tarries a bit. And so this morning, what I would like us to do is to see the promise of God fulfilled and the effect that it had upon Abraham and Sarah and the effect that that kind of thinking has upon us. And so I'd like us to see two things this morning about the promise. First, I'd like us to see the promise fulfilled. And then second, I would like us to see the promise protected. God is at work fulfilling His promises and He protects them as well. 
So let's begin then by looking at the promise as it is fulfilled. The very first thing that we notice and see is that Abraham and Sarah had the promise and they also had the word of God. Now this chapter opens up, it's kind of the sunlight breaking in through a dark cloud. We've been in a very sober and difficult section of Genesis the past month or so. It's a transition from a very dark section that we are coming into. We've had Sarah's skeptical laughter about the promise of God in chapter 18. We had Abraham's failed intercession for Sodom in chapter 18. We had the destruction of Sodom itself. And then just last chapter we saw Abraham fall on his face in trusting the Lord at the court of Abimelech. This is a difficult time and that highlights the difficulty Sarah has had over the past two decades. If we think about it, what did Sarah have? She had no children, which in those days meant that she had no reputation at all. She would have been perhaps teased, mocked, made fun of in the camp quietly. For you see, the great purpose of a woman in this day and age was to have children. And she had none. And of course she had her husband's name to live up of, live up to. Father of many nations with no children. She had no one to care for her in her old age. When something were to happen to Abraham, she had no descendants. She had no realistic hope of having children or of seeing the promise fulfilled. Everything would point to hopelessness. But the one thing that she had was God's Word. God had promised to her in His Word that she would bear a child, a son, the heir of the promise. She had that hope in God's Word. And so now 25 years have gone by, 14 years since Ishmael has been brought into the world. There have been a great many things that have gone on, but now God comes and visits her. Now, you have to understand, when the Bible says that God visited Sarah, it doesn't mean that he popped over for tea. He rang the bell and thought it would be a good time to take up a few moments of her time. No, the word here for visit is a very vivid word. It is a very powerful word. It implies God's divine intervention in her life. You see, the other place that this word is used is in Genesis chapter 50, where Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to, get to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of the land of Egypt. He will divinely intervene and take you out of the land of slavery. It's the same word that is used in Exodus 4, that the Lord had visited His people, that He had seen their suffering. So the Lord comes down and enters into Sarah's life once again. And He comes into her life to remind her that the power of His word has not slackened over the years. It's a point that Moses wants to make to us. Moms, what do you do when you want your children to remember something? Do you just say it once? Or do you repeat it again 
and again and again. Right? Teachers, same thing. Sometimes dads don't have patience to keep repeating. But we do that as well. And that's what God does here for us. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And actually, the word there for promised is as he had said. And then again in verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Do you see what God's doing here? He's reminding us that all of this that is happening is because of the power of His Word. He spoke it, and He did it. That's what we see in verse 1. As He had said, so He did. God speaks and reality becomes true. Has God spoken to you? God speaks to each and every one of His children in His Word. This is God constantly speaking to you, reminding you who you are, what He desires from you, what He has given you, what precious promises are laid before you. As you read the Scriptures, are they real to you? Do you know that they will come about because God has spoken them? You see, the Word of God is a sure anchor in our lives. It's not just something that we memorize. It's not just something that makes us feel better. It is something that we stake our very lives upon. That is why the battle for God's Word is so important. Because we must live our lives based upon the promises and the responsibilities of God's Word. It's God's Word that makes reality real. We see that again here in verse 2. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. The text just reminds us that it's a miracle that Isaac was born. He should never have been born, humanly speaking. I think we all understand this. How many 90-year-old mothers do you all know? 80-year-old mothers? 75? No. But you see, when God says it will happen, it happens regardless of what we think the circumstances are. You see, the world does not believe the promises of God and therefore will not act upon them and will not shape their lives to them. But we are called as God's people to believe in what God has said. We have to trust Him. Do you trust Him with your children? Do you trust Him with your finances? Do you trust Him with your very eternal life? Because you see, the Word of God promises that we can dwell with the Lord forever and know the sweetness of forgiveness of sins if only we trust in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems so ridiculous. It seems so impractical that we will stake our eternal destiny upon believing what a book says because God has said it. But you see, that is the truth and the reality of the world. No matter how many voices deny it, that is the truth of God's Word. The promise is there in God's Word. And you see, Abraham 
acts upon this promise. The promise not only is found in God's Word, it prompts obedience from Abraham. How should we respond to God's Word? You see, I think some think we respond to God's Word by thinking about it, observing it, testing it, inquiring after it, whether it's practical or useful for us, whether it's helpful, whether it has good teaching. But you see, Abraham, the man who staked everything upon God's Word, upon it. Do you see this here? Look with me at verse 3. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. You see, Abraham remembered the faithfulness of God. And he acted upon it. Three times in verses 3 through 5, the promise of God and its reality is reiterated that Abraham had a son and his son's name was Isaac. You see it in verse 3. And again in verse 4, his son Isaac. And again in verse 5, his son Isaac. Abraham was reminded over and over again that God keeps His promises and that we can act upon it. And so what Abraham does is he acts exactly as God has told him. God says, name the child. Abraham names the child. God says, circumcise your son. He circumcises Isaac on exactly the day that he is told to. You see, the emphasis here is upon the promise of God changing who Abraham is giving him what he needs to follow after the Lord in obedience. And after all, isn't this what prayer is like? That because God gives us His promises in His Word, that we can then go to Him in prayer, even as He has commanded us to do so. We can offer up all of our petitions, knowing that God will come through. You see, true faith acts. You do not need to work to be right with God. But the one who is right with God works. It is a fruit of believing in Jesus Christ. And we see that here in the life of Abraham. He does exactly what he is told. The promise brings about obedience. The third thing that we see here about the promise is the joy that comes into this family from the promise. Do you notice... What isn't mentioned in this chapter? All of the trouble. All of the heartache. All of the pain. All of the scars that have come. You see, they're all wiped away, as it were, in a moment. You have to imagine all of the heartbreak that was in this family. We get a reminder of it in verse 5 because Abraham was a hundred years old. Heartbreak is hard to leave behind, isn't it? If I ask you to remember in your mind what is the most heartbreaking loss your favorite sports team has had. You all have it in your mind, don't you? If you follow sports. It's up there. You can't let it go. You remember it. You dwell upon it. And if you're like me, and I think many of you are, 
As you're watching your favorite sports team and things start to go awry, you remember the heartbreak and you say, this is going to happen all over again. But you see, that doesn't just happen with sports on TV. If we're honest with ourselves, that happens in our lives. Our children disappoint us and then we expect them to disappoint us. Our parents are not kind to us the way we would hope and we expect them not to be kind. Things do not work out circumstantially with a job or with finances and we expect it to happen again. We expect to never be free from that kind of heartbreak. But you see, what happens here in our text is the heartbreak is gone because of the promise. You see, God turns mourning with a you, weeping, into joy. The psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 5, he says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we see this here in Sarah. She breaks out into joy, into into a, a shout of triumph. After all of this difficulty, she says, God has made laughter for me. Now, you have to understand, she laughed when she first got the news that she would bear a son. And it was a kind of derisive, mocking laughter. A kind of a, yeah, right. (laughs) But now God has taken this derisive laughter, this skepticism, this cancer of the soul, and he has turned it into a joyful belly laugh. God has given me laughter. Ha ha! He has come to me. He has turned my weeping into joy. And she says, now everyone around me will laugh with me. I think here we have a bit of a translation issue from a preposition. I don't think we should read this as people are laughing at Sarah because she has a son. I think this is the giggling laughter of the ladies coming around her. It's so wonderful. What a cute baby. Oh, this is great. Oh, look, he's cooing. Oh, look, he's putting his finger in his mouth. Oh, look, he's putting his finger in his eye. Oh, look. They're all excited. God has brought a joy to this family that has never been seen before. It's always been there in latent form in the promise, but now it is bloomed. That's what God does. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your life and you trust Him by faith, your life will not become perfect instantaneously. There are preachers who will tell you that, and they are liars. Believing in Jesus does not put dollars in your bank. It does not free you from every illness that you would have. It does not instantly repair every relationship that you have. But you have the promise of God that He will work in your life, that He will make you like His Son by His grace, that He will build you up and strengthen your relationships, that He will care for you so you will not want. You see, this is the joy that takes some time to bloom. It's less like a rose and more like an oak tree. It takes time to grow up in our lives. And Sarah is experiencing this. This is what God's people experienced throughout all the ages. When the temple was rebuilt in Ezra's day, they came out and were struck with joy. Later, in the book of Esther, when they were rescued from certain death, they broke out in joy when the announcement of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ was given, what was it? 
tidings of comfort and joy. And when our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead in Matthew 28, it said that they ran from the tomb consumed with joy. That is what God does. God has done it in history. You see one example of it here in His eternal Word, but you all have seen it in God's providence in others around you. Do not lose hope ever in the promise of God. Trust it by His Word. Obey it. And receive the joy. This is the promise that God has fulfilled. The second thing that we see is that God protects His promise as well. You see, sometimes we think we are the ones who need to protect what God has given to us. And so we grip it ever more tightly. But God says, I'm in charge here. You don't need to worry. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to clutch onto my promise. I want you to freely share it with everyone around you. I want you to be generous with my word, with what I have given to you, with your love. I want you to share it with others because I will protect you. That's what he's doing here in verse 8 and following. So what happens here that we see is the promise has been fulfilled and Isaac has come and just like our lives... Guess what? Everything is not perfect. There's still difficulty and struggle. Can you imagine being Ishmael? For 14 years, you are the heir? I mean, we all know what 14 and 15-year-old boys are like anyway. But could you imagine strutting around knowing that you were the heir and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out from under you? Make you a little bit angry, wouldn't it? Make you a little bit bitter. You start to look at this baby and you'd say, What? He's spitting up all over the place. He can't carry any wood. He can't fight off the animals. Look at this. They get excited when he blows his nose. You can imagine the bitterness coming up in him. And so a great day comes. Isaac's weaning. What does it mean to wean? It means the transition from nursing to eating solid food. And in ancient days, this went on for about two to three years that children were nursed because you had to make sure they could get enough nutrition because the most dangerous time to be alive was as a baby. And so now Isaac is being weaned and there is a great celebration. He is alive. He will live. God has kept his word. The promise goes forth and everyone is excited. It is a great feast. You can just imagine it. And there's Ishmael off in the corner making fun of Isaac. What does it look like? I don't know. Maybe he comes up behind Isaac and he gives him bunny ears. Maybe he pokes him or pushes him over. Maybe he makes fun of him to a buddy. Maybe he makes a sarcastic comment. Maybe he even just says something with an attitude. But what we know from the text is that he is mocking Isaac. And Sarah sees this. The Bible teaches us something here, kids, that you should remember. Moms know what you're doing. You may think that you're hiding this away, you're being real smart and subtle and smooth. No way. Sarah sees this and she understands what is going on and she is furious. 
And we know something significant is going on here because Paul picks up on it in Galatians 4 and he says that Ishmael persecuted Isaac in Galatians 4.29. And this word here for mockery is the same word that's used when the Philistines drag out the blinded Samson as a floor show. They spin him around and make fun of him. That's what's going on here. And Sarah can't stand this anymore. And she says to Abraham, get him out of here. She begins to really speak against Hagar and Ishmael. She calls her the slave, not the handmaid anymore, and get her son out of here. Now you can imagine what pain this would cause for Abraham because yes, he is Hagar's son, but he's also Abraham's. He had loved Ishmael. Remember, he wanted Ishmael to walk before the Lord. And Abraham experiences what you and I know full well, that it is hard to give things up that we love. Even when giving them up is in our best interest, right? Do you ever try to give up chocolate cake to lose weight? Not easy, is it? More seriously, do you ever try and give up a besetting sin? Something that just always seems to wrap around your neck. It's like ten times worse than quitting smoking. You think you've defeated it and it comes back. It rears up its ugly head. You see, it's hard for us to give up things that we think we need and we love. And so that's why God enters in here. And He does something that's surprising to us. He sides with Sarah. He says, no, listen, you have to do what she says. Let him go. Send Hagar and Ishmael off. But He says, I have heard your concern. I will protect them. I will make of him a great nation. He says, this is not about abandoning Ishmael. This is about protecting Isaac and the promise that I have given to you. And you see, God sees the bigger ends. And sometimes He causes us some difficulty of heart for our own good. So Hagar and Ishmael go off into the desert and it is not a good beginning. You see, they go off and they have this water and they're headed off toward Egypt because that's where Hagar is from, and immediately they get lost. They wander about, and the word there is often used of people who stagger around in a drunken stupor. They're wandering around in circles. They don't know where they are. They haven't gone very far, but they're lost, and they're out of water, and they're ready to die. And so Hagar takes this now 15 or 16-year-old teen, And she's carrying him, dragging him through the desert. Another note to kids, do not underestimate the strength of mothers. She drags him and she drops him under a bush because she cannot bear to see him die. She's given up all hope. The only thing that she could think to do that's right is to drop him in one spot and to go a distance off so that she can die too and she doesn't have to watch her son die. And you see, in the middle of this trouble that really was not of her causing, she didn't ask to be taken out of Egypt. She didn't ask to be the handmaid to Abraham. She didn't ask to get in the middle of the fight. In the middle of all this misery, God breaks through. And He says, I'm here. 
And he gives her a promise again. Now, who is it that breaks through? Look with me at verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar. And once again, we have here the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of God, appearing before Hagar. A pre-incarnation. Jesus is looking after Hagar and Ishmael. And he delivers a great promise. He says, I will protect you. And I will bless you. And I will make a great nation of you. Because you see, this was all not about some family squabble. All of this was about God protecting His promise. The promise that you have. Because you see, if Isaac were not the heir, if the Messiah did not come from Isaac, if Jesus did not come and do the work, then we would be the ones with no hope. We would be the ones under the bush ready to die. But God is at work, even in miserable situations. You see, because in the end, God is the one who is in control. He is the one who controls the promise. He is the one in charge of our lives. There's one final thing here that we see in the Lord protecting His promise for His people. God is preparing Abraham to see the Lord's work. Because you see, He has to take away from Abraham every single thing that could possibly get in the way of him trusting Him. And when Abraham goes up on that mountain, on that altar, and gets ready to slay his son, he does not have a plan B. There's no Ishmael anymore. The only thing he has is Isaac. So you see, God has prepared Abraham and us to trust him. That The promises are always yea and amen in Jesus Christ. This is the Lord God that we serve. You may not be 90 ready to have a son. You may not be casting out your handmaid and your son into the wilderness. But you have fears. You have needs. You need to trust the Lord with your life, with your family, with your providence. God is telling us today, He is worthy of that trust. That He is powerful and that He is sovereign. And that He fulfills every promise He makes and protects them for His people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are at work with Your people. And we ask this morning, Lord, that You would teach us to trust You even more that we would let your light and your love shine upon us. Lord, point us to Jesus Christ, that we would know that he is our all in all. This we ask in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.